In this episode, I talk about stealing with glee, video streaming, and whether we should double protection commission. This week, it's just me and the mic, right here in episode 65 of the Marketing, Protection, and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hello and welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in and plugging me and my guests into your earphones. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, can I ask you to share it with one? It only needs to be one of your friends or colleagues, either by email or social media. Let's grow the audience even more so that I can attract more guests to share their ideas and inspiration with you. Talking of guests, this week it's just me, riffing on a few subjects I've been writing about recently. So let's get straight into it, right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance Podcast. Nearly 15 years ago, I joined the executive launch team of the provider that will become Bright Grey. We fell in love with the phrase, steal with glee. Put simply, it meant taking the best ideas from successful international businesses, adapting them for the UK financial services industry, and using them to create a unique culture and proposition. I remember borrowing cultural ideas from Southwest Airlines and the Ritz-Carlton hotel chain. I remember stealing product ideas from Edward Jones and Cisco Systems. Our thinking in the UK tends to be short term. The need to meet next year's business targets means we continue to play short-term games like adding critical illnesses and cutting rates. It can be hard to plan a long game. We don't invest in slow burn new ideas. I've always liked to visualize what the end game is. What will be at the finishing line in the current critical illness race, for example? What will be the final outcome of the protection price war? At lunch recently, a reinsurer described their own long-term strategic thinking by using the analogy of an ice hockey puck. Think of the addition of a load of critical illnesses as sending the puck speeding on its way. After all the bounces, deflections and blows, where will it end up? I like that analogy. I thought I would steal it with glee. It's a great way to express what I had in mind anyway. Where will the puck land in the illness game, for example? The Association of British Insurers set the minimum standards on some definitions, and for years companies have chipped away at them to create ABI plus definitions. It will take a long time, but the end game here is a simple definition, stripped of all its exclusions and caveats. For example, diagnosis of cancer except, followed by a long list of statements, will simply become diagnosis of cancer full stop. Is that really likely? What about the price war? In the UK, we have sleepwalked into preferred lives underwriting. We quote the cheapest rate to everyone and then dash the expectations of one in four, perhaps even one in three of our clients. How long before this becomes unacceptable? In the United States, they've been operating a preferred lives model for years. They tell people what the criteria are for the cheapest rates so that they know up front what the likely outcome is going to be. That's got to be better than letting everyone think they might get the cheapest premium 
only to disappoint them later. Underwrite Me is trying to solve this problem by giving people the correct premium at the start, but it's still hiding the fact that we are operating a cloak and daggers preferred lives model. Wouldn't it be better to just admit what's going on and publish the criteria so that clients know what to expect? The final destination does beg a very interesting question. As an industry driven by short-term goals, it means everyone makes a few incremental steps at a time. Company A adds five more conditions. Company B catches up with those five and advances with two more. Company A cuts its headline rate but reduces the number accepted for that rate from 75 to 70%, and so it goes on. Will anyone chart the trajectory of the ice hockey puck, fix upon the final destination, and then make the leap to that place all at once? I've asked this question before, and sadly, the answer has been, why would you? Because then you would have nowhere left to go. What do you think about this subject? If you want to talk about your own strategy, please look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk. I've recently started experimenting with live streaming video apps. You've probably heard of some of them because they are the latest social media sensation. Periscope and Meerkat have only been around since March 2015, but already millions of people are using the apps to broadcast live video. As always with social media, some of the broadcasts are very personal, such as what the person is eating for breakfast. Others might offer a walkabout of their hometown. Many are already using them for business. Product demonstrations and question and answer sessions are very popular. Live streaming and video is nothing new, of course. Webinars are long-standing marketing tools and Google Hangouts, although fiendishly difficult to set up, have been around for a few years now. It's the simplicity of the mobile phone-based Periscope and Meerkat that has propelled them to success. Another desktop and mobile app which is still in beta is Blab, a live streaming platform that allows up to four people to appear on screen at the same time. A few weeks ago, advisors Martin Bamford and Pete Matthew joined me for what we believe was the first UK financial services Blab broadcast. The key lesson to learn from using these apps is that it's all about engagement. Viewers can type in questions, and running a successful broadcast necessitates asking questions of your audience as well as answering theirs, and acknowledging them by name goes a long way to establishing rapport. I find it wonderfully addictive interacting with people from all over the world, but that in itself is a problem for marketers using these apps. It's difficult to target specific groups of people although Blab does make it easier. Of course, the apps weren't designed with marketers in mind, but it's all about social engagement. As Martin, Pete and I chatted, it occurred to me that large financial services providers won't adopt this technology anytime soon. The usual compliance concerns will win over. Companies won't trust their staff to broadcast without a cast iron script, and no doubt IT will voice their usual concerns about security and data leakage. You only have to look at how financial services providers have embraced other social media platforms to realise they'll initially treat live video streaming with an equally arm's length attitude. Twitter is a great engagement opportunity, yet many providers hardly post more than once a day and certainly don't actively engage with their customers. The protection market remains locked in a malaise of rate competition and condition enhancement. Successive product launches add similar propositions to the mix, but nothing new or different emerges. The market remains flat 
as a result. The Seven Families campaign and some of Vitality's marketing work around fitness and travel show that directly engaging with customers actually works, and it can be done without compromising the advisor's relationship. If price competition and the condition addition race won't grow the protection market, which we've pretty much proved to be the case, then perhaps real engagement with customers is the way forward. Not a heavily scripted sales and marketing pitch, not a product push, not a lessening compliance box ticking. What's needed is real, honest conversation. Periscope, Meerkat and Blab show how people want to interact in the digital world, how they want to pose their questions and how they want those questions answered. Perhaps the protection provider that puts aside IT and compliance fears and uses such platforms to genuinely interact with customers will be the one who creates real competitive advantage. Have you started using Periscope, Meerkat or Blab? If you need help or want to talk about how you could use them for your business, look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk. The keynote speaker had just made a provocative statement. Apart from the scribbling of journalist pens, the room descended into shock silence. Mike Ward from paintoomuch.com, speaking at the Protection Review Conference in July, said he thought protection providers should pay double commission on life assurance, critical illness and income protection products. I don't think anyone was expecting this angle. As part of a panel of speakers talking about ways of growing the market, Mike's comments stood out amongst the usual calls for product innovation, simplification and more marketing spend. Needless to say, before the morning session was over, his remarks were all over the online editions of the trade publications. Just a few days later, Tessa Norman from Money Marketing wrote an article pointing to legislation in Australia calling for the capping of Protection Product Commission. She opened a debate as to whether this would be a route worth travelling in UK financial services. Replying to her article, most advisors, product providers and independent commentators were against the idea. Indeed, a few questioned her wisdom for reopening such a contentious subject. Since then, we've learned of the new Conservative government's plans for yet another review of financial advice. Like it or not, that discussion is bound to reopen the contentious subject of commission on protection products once again. Do I agree with Mike Ward? Yes, because as an industry, we have made the proposition so complex and the underwriting process so long and tedious that advisors spend excessive times on protection compared to what they receive in compensation. Do I think we should follow Australia's lead and put a cap on commission or indeed ban it altogether? No, because we know from the run-up to RDR that consumers will not pay the same level of fees for protection advice as they would for investment and pensions planning. Nothing has changed since the last round of legislation. Banning or capping commission on protection is still likely to reduce take-up rather than stimulate more. The Australian experience is a red herring, actually. The Trowbridge Initiative points to high commissions creating customer detriment Trowbridge cites high lapse rates on protection products and argues that advisors are encouraged to rebroke, often because of high commission rates. It's easy to see how that argument could apply in the UK, but there is one fundamental difference. Australian protection products are mainly annually costed. Premiums go up every year, just like car insurance premiums do in the UK. Faced with such increases, healthy lives look to switch to a cheaper, new product every year. High commissions don't cause the lapses, the premium structure does. Arguably a commission cap might increase rebroking rather than reduce it.
Tinkering with commission levels or banning it will not increase demand for protection in the UK, nor will it overcome the consistent poor view that consumers have of the insurance industry. We pay out 97.7% of all claims, according to the ABI, but consumers still think we decline more than 60% of claims. These are the perceptions we have to change. Commissions are not part of the problem. Mike's idea of paying more commission would indeed lead to more protection being recommended if advisors felt suitably compensated for the work they put in. Researching the market, particularly for critical illness products, the time they spend managing the lengthy application process and having to handle their clients' expectations if they turned out to be rated, all adds up. Would paying high commission create a revolution in the protection market? Probably not. Those who shared the same panel at the Protection Review Conference as Mike and advocated simplification and more marketing which of course are much less newsworthy approaches, still represents the best chance for long-term growth. When we make products easy to understand, when we surround them with a mass of positive marketing messages made up from the stories of real people who benefited from protection products, when we let consumers apply almost instantaneously and design processes that don't force advisors to spend months on even the smallest cases, only then can we even begin to consider changes to commission structures. What do you think? Should the protection industry look at commission levels? Or are there other areas we should focus on first? Look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk and join in the debate. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week. I am out of here. For listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You can be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.